0: This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. We're going to the end of 1 Corinthians uh, because I'm going to talk today about the gospel and generosity. Uh, In two weeks, we're going to have our annual uh, Generations Fund, so this is kind of an in-house Family uh, kind of a deal here if you 're a guest uh, we 're not asking a- a- you to participate that in any way it 's something we do annually, which is a fund that we have collected uh, to build this building that we just moved into six months ago and uh, so that 's what i 'm going to be talking about a little bit uh, today. Uh, but I wanted to connect uh, what what we 've been talking about in First Corinthians with this because in first Corinthians what we 've learned in the first two chapters is that Paul is centering his life and ministry around the gospel. He said, when I was among you, I knew nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. So he said, this, everything that I taught you when I was with you connected in some way to what Jesus did for us. He wanted them to think about the Christian life as primarily starting with what God has done for me, not what I'm doing for him. That we can never ourselves do anything including the subject we're talking about today, be generous. We can never be generous enough to earn God's favor. It's impossible. We earn God's favor because he's gracious and because he sent Jesus to die for our sins. And if you're here and that message is new to you, we would just encourage you as Rob did during his prayer earlier, that you respond to that free gift, that Christianity is not about you being good enough, me being good enough, going to church, reading the Bible, being a good person, a good uh, husband, a good wife, or a good parent, or a good son or daughter. It's not about us being good moral people to achieve God's favor. It's impossible. It's about God coming to us in Jesus and giving his life for us. Uh, Dying for our sins and raising from the dead, being raised to give us new life. So the gospel is good news about what he has done. And once we receive that truth, which you could do by simply acknowledging your own sin and your need for a savior and, and praying in your own heart to the Lord, Lord, forgive me for my sins and give me new life. Uh, and because of Jesus, you can just pray that and receive new life. And then once you do, once, once the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did becomes real to us, it begins to shape us and change who we are. So we are changed once he comes into our lives. And it changes us in a lot of ways. In chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, we learned that it makes us grateful people. We thank God for other people. It secondly makes us a unified people as a church. When we're believing in Jesus and what he's done, and we're trusting in his good news, then we're unified together around that, um, it causes us to embrace a message that sounds foolish to the world. That's what we learned. The, the, the world doesn't, doesn't get that, man, because Jesus is crucified, that changes everything. So it changes that. And lastly, what we're going to talk about today, and we'll get back to chapter three, but what we're going to talk about today is that it changes our, our, uh, our hearts towards what we have, and it makes us generous people. So look at page 560. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible under the seat in front of you. You can pull it out and turn to 560. And I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 16, 1-4, because that's going to set it up. And then we're going to go right after that to page 563, and we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 9, and we're going to talk about the gospel and generosity. So let me pray, and then we'll read this passage. Lord, we pray today that you would give new life to those in need. We pray that you would give encouraging, fresh life to those who have already received you. And we pray that you would make all of our hearts full of Uh, generosity in all things lord whatever time we have may we be generous with our time whatever talents gifts abilities we have may we be generous with our abilities to serve others and honor you and whatever resources we have may we use them for your glory and for the good of others so speak to us now through your word in jesus name amen Okay, so we'll get to this passage next spring, but here's a little preview, like the the previews. Here they are. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 4. Paul says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So Paul says, okay, when I was with you, I told you there was a need in in, uh, Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem is hurting. So what we're going to do, Corinth, is uh, every week put a little money aside. Each week, as you gather, have, make a collection, and then when I come, we'll take all of that. I'll take some people with me that you accredit, and I'll take it to Jerusalem. So he's preparing them that he's going to, <clears throat> <clears throat> excuse me, that he's going to receive these gifts that they give, that they put aside on a regular basis uh, as an offering for this church in Jerusalem. Okay, now turn in Second Corinthians, the next letter over to the same people. He writes them later. And we come to 2 Corinthians uh, 8 and uh, chapters 8 and 9. And uh, here we're going to look at chapter 9 beginning in verse 6. So now these chapters 8 and 9 are about this offering. So the offering we just read about, here's how he talks about the heart of the offering, the generosity behind it. Here he's not talking about the details of the offering. He's talking about what's our heart supposed to be with generosity. In chapter 9 verse 6, the point is this. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution to them and for all the others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. His inexpressible gift. So in these chapters eight and nine, we just read the conclusion. He's talking to them about the attitude behind their giving to this particular offering and in uh, general in their lives. This is a follow up. He's encouraged them in these chapters to follow through on their, their promise to help the church in Jerusalem. And he starts off the whole section by giving this amazing example of the churches in Macedonia. Look back at chapter eight, one chapter back, uh, page, uh, verse one. He says, "We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches." Of Macedonia. So see, he ties everything to God's grace, the cross, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we want to tell you about God's grace that's come to the church. Well, what's that look like? He says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means. I can testify and be on their means. So he's, he's telling them about this other church. Hey, there's churches in Macedonia, they are poor. But what they did was they sacrificially overflowed to serve our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. So this is the context of what he's talking about. And in the verses we read in chapter 9, verses 6 through 15, there's really two big ideas, I think. And I want to we're going to walk through the passage verse by verse. But let me tell you the two uh, big ideas. The first big idea is... That generous giving brings generous blessing to the giver. Generous giving brings generous blessing to the giver. Now he's talking about a specific offering for a specific group of people in a specific time. But I believe these principles are true for generosity in our lives overall. The gospel produces generosity in all of life with our time, our treasures, our talents, and everything. But here he's talking about this specific offering. Verse 6. The point is, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, sadly, this verse um, and some other verses like it in the Bible have been co-opted uh, and, and oftentimes taken out of their context um, uh, for preaching in prosperity theology Uh, Kind of environments where there is uh, a promise made that, hey, if you uh, sow, you are guaranteed a huge financial harvest. So in the worst case scenario, it kind of goes like this give sacrificially, and you'll be rewarded with a lavish Lifestyle. And here's some testimonies about lavish lifestyle to prove this works. But this verse is not to be used in that way. Like it's a plan for becoming wealthy. That's not what this passage is about. Matter of fact, it didn't seem to work in chapter 8 for the Macedonians. They were in utter poverty. But they were still giving. So it's not, it's not some kind of, you know, uh, you, you, put your, you put your coin in and out comes the, uh, the can of soda at the bottom of the machine like a mechanism kind of a thing uh, it's more an observation that he's making. It's, it's like kind of like a proverb. Proverbs aren't promises, they're observations of how life generally works and here's the observation he's making it's from a, uh, it's an agricultural metaphor, and he says, uh, "If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly, if you sow abundantly or generously, you will reap." Generously Sowing is the planting of seeds. So all he's really saying is that if a farmer goes out with a few seeds and scatters a few seeds, maybe occasionally and randomly, he's going to have a spotty occasional random kind of a crop. But if he takes a large quantity of seed and he plants a large quantity of seed, then he's going to have a more abundant crop when it's time to harvest. It's a very simple point that he is making and he's applying it to giving. Well, how do you know that? Well, the context and also the next verse, verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. So he's making a very, very simple point that that people uh, who give little, and generally this is the circumstance, people who uh, give little don't reflect a life that's been touched by the gospel, and so they receive sort of uh, little in return. But yet those who've been affected by the gospel and give with open hearts Uh, who hold things loosely, who experience that kind of freedom in their life, they receive an abundance in their life. Now, the sowing he's talking about is not necessarily giving a large amount of money. Uh, For instance, we read in chapter 8, the Macedonians were poor. They were in utter poverty. So the Macedonians weren't forking up, they weren't writing big checks. And the church at Macedonia didn't give one of those big cardboard checks where you come out like, oh, millions of dollars. That kind of thing. But they gave proportionately sacrificially. They were giving, they didn't have much, but they they gave sacrificially. So when he talks about abundant seed, he's he's talking in the context, if we look at chapter eight, he's talking about proportional giving. He's talking about sacrificial giving. Uh, He's talking about giving what you have in a way to be a blessing to others. He then goes on to describe the kind of attitude. He starts with the giving, but then he goes on to describe the attitude of giving, verse seven. Don't give reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. So he's telling the church, look, there's a need in Jerusalem, but I'm not trying to manipulate you. I don't want you to feel like I'm obligated to do this so that it's in the category of have to. When the gospel affects our heart, giving is not a have to, it's a get to. He said, "I I want you to get to participate in this. I mean, this is the joy of life: is to be receive something from the Lord and be able to use that as a way to bless other people. So he wants them to do it not reluctantly, not under compulsion, but with a a joy in their heart. And I find that obligatory giving, when we give based on law, it frequently, um, or a requirement, something like that, it frequently there's no joy attached to it." But when we give joyfully and generously, then we can be cheerful givers. Our hearts overflow with freedom. Um, And and so that's what the Lord wants for them. I mean, ultimately, the Lord could provide for the church in Jerusalem through somebody else. He He doesn't want them to be begrudgingly helping those other people. He wants them to be joyful and he wants them to experience him at that. And if you're a parent, you know this experience. You, you know the joy of seeing your children freely give rather than obligatory giving. In about a week, kids are going to, many kids, uh, not every kid, maybe your kid doesn't do this, but many kids are going to go door to door collecting free candy in about a week it's going to happen and maybe your kids go trick-or-treating or maybe they go to a harvest party and get candy or maybe you just buy and give them candy I don't know what you do but but uh, different people do different things but what often happens is that kids end up with a bag of candy and I know what I always did and what my kids did is you come home and it's kind of been dark you don't know what we have and you pour it all out on the floor and there it all is or on the table have you had this experience and it's amazing because at this point Uh, If you want, maybe you've got a younger kid who couldn't go out, or maybe you got a kid that just didn't get very much and one got a lot for some reason. Maybe they went to one of those carnival things, you had to win it and they won a ton and the other kids didn't. And so there always comes the test of will kid with lots of candy share with sibling who got less or who didn't get what they wanted or whatever it is. And it's always a test because by this time, they're all like three fun size candy bars high, uh, minimally at this point, by the time this discussion takes place. Everybody's wired on sugar, but what you don't want is, okay, can you share some of your candy with your brother? I don't want, that that you don't want that. It's completely, I want you to. Sh- if you don't share, then we're going to put all the candy away, and you don't get any until tomorrow. Oh, and then because they're not going to get any. Oh, okay. And then they reach down and they pick up that lame candy. <laughs> that one cheap neighbor that just went and got some black licorice and wrapped it in saran wrap and you know, cut it up into bite-sized pizza, pieces and dropped it in the bag. And they take that sorry licorice there and you can't have any more. Now they gave something, but is, is that really what we want? You want them to say, if the kid comes home and oftentimes they're gonna have to have four or five candy bars to get this high. But if they come home on a sugar rush and they're like, hey, here's my candy. You can have whatever you want. You can, you didn't get this. You like, oh, I got your, this is your favorite and I got it. You can have this. That's what you love to see because they're just, they received so much. When does a kid ever get a full bag of candy to just devour? next week. It happens once a year. So I've been blessed with all of this candy and it's my joy. I want, I don't, this is my, my, my sibling loves Reese's. I do too, but they really love it. I'm going to give it to you. And you look at that and say, yes, there's this one brief moment when that happens. If it happens once in their entire childhood on one Halloween, it's just beautiful to see that joyful sharing. I've received so much. It's my joy to give not reluctant or under compulsion I've got to give, and so I'm going to give this scrap. That's not what the Lord has in mind. He wants us to give, it says, verse 7, as be cheerful givers. This statement is, it's astounding if you think about it. God, verse 7, loves a cheerful giver. I, I don't think, I don't know that there's a lot of places in Scripture, I didn't search, and check this out. But I don't think there's a lot of places in scripture where it says God loves something specifically like this. He's not talking about God generally loving people for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He's not talking about that. He's talking about God loving a specific action when it comes with a specific attitude. God loves when his people give. He loves that. But he loves when it does it cheerfully, much like the parent in the illustration that I gave just a minute ago. He loves that. He loves generous giving. It glorifies him. Why? Because it looks like him. It looks like Jesus. Jesus gave his life. In chapter 8, back when he's talking earlier in chapter 8, in verse 9, it says, You know the grace of the Lord Jesus that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. He's saying that Jesus became poor. What does that mean? It means that God became a man. And Philippians tells us Jesus uh, is fully God, fully man. Philippians tells us he humbled himself to death. when we, He gave because of his love for us. He sacrificed because he loved us. So when we give uh, motivated by grace, God loves it because it looks like him. It's his work in us. He's glorified when God can look at us and see his character in us. He's glorified because it reflects back to him what he's done in our lives. This doesn't apply to just giving. This applies to everything. When God sees his workmanship in us, his grace in us, it it glorifies him because it mirrors back to him what his work in us is. So he he wants us to be joyful, and and he loves to give a bountiful harvest, verse 8. And God, this is the bountiful harvest, the rich sowing, uh, the the abundant sowing, and the abundant reaping. This is it, verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. What's he saying? He's saying that God... God wants to give and does give us all that we need. He's all sufficient in all things so that we can abound in every good work. He's saying that God's desire by his grace is to give us all that we need to accomplish all that he's called us to do. So it's a wonderful picture. God gives to us resources. We manage, steward those resources for a lot of things to take care of ourselves, our families. That's certainly part of it. That's a big part of it. But also to use what we have to bless other people. And as we do that, as we give, then he gives to us so that we can accomplish all that he has called us to do. So the rich harvest, the bountiful harvest is not intended to Position the farmer to just kick back and enjoy life in the sense that, hey, I've just got everything to become independently wealthy so that he doesn't depend on anyone or anything. It's to be received so that we will have all sufficiency in all things to abound in every good work, so that we can do what God wants us to do with our lives. God supplies for us so that we can abound in good works. Now, I believe that's beyond giving. These two chapters are on giving, so if I'm gonna be fair to the context, I gotta apply this to giving, but it's more than that. It's like, as we offer our lives to the Lord, he gives us what we need to be uh, help other people, not just materially, but in all kinds of ways. So every good work, what's the good work? Well, here the good work is specifically giving generously to help a church in Jerusalem where people are suffering. Uh, but I think the good work is broad. God, God gives us resources. I'm I'm not going to talk about time and talent. I'm going to talk about resources. God gives us resources that we can serve other people in all kinds of ways. We can serve people by seeing a need that we are able to meet and meeting a need financially for someone. Uh, We can use our resources to extend hospitality to people, to invite people uh, into our homes and care for them or invite them over for a meal even. And on our dime, serve them, care for them, Picking up the check at a restaurant, our way of saying to someone else that we are caring for them. We can, uh, we can do things, so those are significant things. We can do things like fund uh, mercy ministry, where, but fund ministry where there is need for basic necessities like uh, food and, uh, and, and drink. And clothing, those kinds of things. We can give to support missions uh, where the gospel is going all over the world. We can use what we have to support church planting around us. There's, people all, there's places all around us in the U.S. where churches are being planted, where the gospel needs to go forth. And I think it starts with beginning by giving where we are planted in our local church. To give as a way of participating in the ministry that we enjoy on a weekly basis. And, and, and pr- funding the mission that our lives are attached to all the time. So there's a lot of ways to do the good work of taking our resources and using them to bless uh, others, whether uh, whoever they are and whatever the needs may be. He's just talking about something very specific here. Uh, then next he says, uh, let me go back to the phrase that I, uh, that I, th- that I kind of uh, skipped. And that was in verse seven. To start this all off, he said, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, his or her heart. That's a really key part. My impression is that many of us don't live what he's talking about here. The life of cheerful giving, the life of abundant sowing, the life of abundant reaping, which goes back to abundant sowing so that God is abounding in grace, abounding in provision to give us all that we need to meet every, to meet needs around us. We can't meet every need of course, but to meet needs around us with every good work. It's this adventure. It's this adventurous life of planting, harvesting, giving, planting, harvesting, giving. It's this life of adventure where there's t- taking steps of faith to give and watching God provide. It's, it's a wonderful experience. And, and, and I think many of us don't, uh, don't live generously if we're honest. Many of us just sort of here and there make a, oh yeah, there's a little donation here and there, and I had some extra at the end of the month, so there's something over here and something over there. We just sort of haphazard sow seeds. We haven't really decided in our heart. We're, we're, we're scratching by, giving a little here, giving a little bit there, but we never really experience, uh, well, we never really experience generosity, and thus we never really experience cheerful giving. And I think the reason is because of verse seven for some of us, it's because we've never decided what we must give. If we never think and plan, we'll never get to generosity. And if we never get to generosity, we never get to cheerful giving and we never get the joy of the experience of seeing God at work. So we might even have like a good intention. Like I want to be a generous person. I want to be open-hearted. I want to be big-hearted. I want to be open-armed. I want to be empty-pocketed to, to meet needs. But oftentimes we don't plan so we never get there. And Paul tells them, you must decide in your heart. What did he say back in First uh, Corinthians 16? He said, put aside each week something so when I come there will be something set aside. There he gave them a plan. He told, he told them to do something on a weekly basis. But we we need to have, we don't necessarily have to do give weekly, but we need to have some kind of plan for regularity. And I think that's an issue, to decide in our heart, to make a decision, to make a plan, to be proactive. Because we don't get to cheerful unless we get to generous, and we don't get to generous unless we plan. We never get to cheerful giving if we're haphazard and toss a few bucks here or there. Have you ever thought about that, planning for generosity, when a plan for generosity. Now I'm talking specifically about giving, and I'm going to be very specific in a minute and talk about our Generations Fund, but I keep feeling this itch to to make this broader because it is broader. Uh, You don't ever extend hospitality and bless people in your home in this culture unless you text them and invite them and put it on the calendar. So without a plan, people aren't just going to show up at your house and say, Let's be hospitable to me. It's just not gonna happen. And if they do, maybe shouldn't invite them in. I don't know, but yeah, maybe you should, depending on who they are. But, uh, you know, unless you have a plan where you're seeking to, to reach out, and the same is true here. Unless I have a plan that I look at my starting with like a budget, I know what comes in, I know what seed I have. Unless I know what seed I have, and unless I plan for the dispersal, the, the, the scattering of that seed, I won't get too generous. I'll just spend whatever's in front of me. Oh, this looks a good idea. And we need some of this. Or, well, we had to have that. And we needed this. And this came up. And oh, I wasn't even expecting. And then the car broke. And, and all this. And at the end of the month, it's like, what? Well, I wanted to give. My intention was there, but it didn't because I didn't have a plan. So decide in your heart, pray, make a budget, come up with a figure that you want to give on an annual basis. You know what you make annually, probably, maybe you don't if you're in sales or something like that, you know, kind of average what you make in a year and it can go up or down. But if you're on a salary, you know what you make. And so it's best just to come up with a plan to say, what am I going to give and to put it in my budget and to begin to make that happen. Um, well, how do I do that? Well, in the Old Testament, the principle in the Old Testament was the people of God tithe, which was 10%. That's not a law in the New Testament. But the New Testament seems to go beyond that. The New Testament radicalizes our giving so that he owns it all and calls us to be generous and sacrificial with what we have. And uh, so that's a, that's a good way to think about it. How can I, can I, can I Lord, can I start with a principle that says I want to give a percentage. I want to honor a, a principle in the Old Testament. But beyond that, can it, what, what would you stretch us by faith over time to be able to give Today we're going to talk about, I'm going to talk in just a second, I'm getting there, about the Generations Offering, but one of the reasons I think that the Generations Offering has gone well, and I'm going to tell you how well it's gone in a moment, and why people who've participated have often been excited about it and have felt like just what we described, have known the joy of giving Here's why, because it's the only time in their life they've ever committed to a a plan, a commitment to regular giving. We don't ask as a church, hey, commit to what you're going to give to the church on an annual basis. Uh, Some places, like if you sponsor a child, they may ask you to commit to a monthly amount. So some places, sometimes you give and commit, but oftentimes it's just, okay, whatever. But in the Generations Fund, we ask people over the next year, what could you give? It could be weekly, monthly, could be one-time gift over the year, but it caused us all to pray And to think and to plan. It caused us all to obey verse 7. Each one must decide in his heart. So people had to make a decision. Here's what I feel called to do and act on it. And I think it brings a lot of joy to people and a lot of blessing because it's one of the only times in their entire life maybe. That they've actually committed to something like that. So generous giving brings generous blessing to the giver. And and the generosity is not always an abundance of finances. It could be all kinds of things that God brings our way so that we can leverage those to bless others. Secondly, and this is a point what I just said is commonly thought about. This next point, not so much. Generous giving brings generous thanks to God. Look at verse 11. This is kind of a trend. Well, verse 10, he who supplies seeds to the sower and bread will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now, verse 11's transition. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. This is so important because this is the end game of giving. The The end game, he says, you, verse 11, you will be enriched. That's not the end game. The Corinthians will be blessed for giving. That's not the end game. In every way, you'll be generous in every way, which, uh, well, look at verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, so their giving is gonna supply needs in Jerusalem. That's not the end game. The end game is not that the giver's blessed. The end game is not that the recipient is blessed. The end game is that... uh, uh, generous in every way, verse eleven, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God, verse twelve, The ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints but is overflowing in many thanksgivings to god here 's what paul says here 's the big deal about being a generous person is that the recipient, if it 's Christian giving, the recipient will thank god that 's the big end game is that God gets glory, we get joy, we get a blessing, somebody else gets a blessing. It's wonderful to see. It's exciting. It's a faith adventure. But at the end of the day, it's not about my experience. And it's not even ultimately about the person in need's experience. It's about the glory of God. And so Paul says, I don't want you to give reluctantly. That doesn't bring glory to God. I want you to give cheerfully. And and, and, and this is a blessing to be able to give in this way. Look at verse 13. By their approval of this service. That means the people in Jerusalem, they're going to approve. They will glorify God. So the church in Jerusalem is going to say, praise God. He provided for us through these other Christians because of their, uh, because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of co- your contribution. They will glorify God because of your generosity while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. They're going to see God's grace on you. One way that God's grace on our life, not the only way, we've been talking about different ways. We're talking about a different way almost every week. But one way that the grace of God on our lives is evidenced is by an open-handed generosity. And when you've been around someone like that or you've seen someone like that or you've seen a group of people like that, you say, wow, praise God. I see God at work in them. The grace of God is upon them. And then I love this last verse, 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift it didn't tell us what he's talking about I don't think he's talking about the money there I think he's talking about Jesus I mean people could argue that but I think he's saying thank God for his gift so the the people in Jerusalem are going to thank God for your gift but I'm thanking God for his gift which is what an offering no I think it's Jesus it's the ultimate offering praise God for the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's doing it's inexpressible is what he says to them Now, Paul does a masterful job here of motivating them to give. He doesn't guilt them. He doesn't make them manipulate them. He doesn't do anything like that. He says there's a need because of the gospel's work in you, be generous. And just think, God is going to be glorified by that. He lifts their eyes upward and helps them see what difference it makes for God to be blessed by their giving. And I'd like to take a moment and do that as well. Not about general giving. I want to talk specifically about our Generations Fund for a minute. Now, our Generations Fund is something we've had for a number of years. Annually, I'm just talking about it one Sunday. In the, in the past, we've talked about it multiple Sundays each year. And we've asked people to give uh, towards the building of um, this building that we are in right now. And we called it Generations because we feel like we're here in the center of the city for generations. And we feel like this will be a place I pray a hundred years from now that the gospel, none of us will be here Maybe someone that was just dedicated could be here. I don't know. But none of us, none of you people will be here, I don't think. I won't be here. In a hundred years, I pray the gospel is going forth from here. And so we said, let's plant over there, build over there, and let's see what God would do for generations to come. Not just about me and the other old people that are here right now, but for generations, may God do something that would be glorious here. So that's something we've done every year. And uh So let's start with this. In terms of giving, bringing glory to God, I just told this story yesterday in the new members class, and we cannot hear it enough because I want to glorify the Lord. We're worshiping today and welcoming people today, and we had brand new people dedicate children that that have come to the church since we moved in this building today. We are worshiping on land that was given to us. Somebody gave a chunk of land, and I don't know, I meant to get with Tim ahead of time. I know at one point it was valued at a million dollars. I, I don't know where it is now, but that, there at one point that's what the land was worth. It would probably be worth more than that now, but that's what it was at one point, 900-something thousand, close to a million dollars. So somebody could have used that for all kinds of stuff, but they said, he said, I want the Lord to be worshiped here. So praise God that someone decided in their heart to take something that they bought and give it, it wasn't somebody in this church. It was a developer who gave, praise God that we could be here worshiping today because of what somebody gave like that. Isn't that, there's an example right there um, that God has uh, blessed us. And if you have participated in the Generations Fund in the past, I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're encouraged because people have, praised God, it has overflowed in thanksgiving for your giving. Yesterday, I met, we had a new members class. Most of the class has just come to the church in the last six months. Almost all of them. There's a few that had visited the old building. But most of them had all come since we moved here. And throughout the day, I had conversations with various ones of them. And the report, I don't know if they were all Christians. I haven't heard all their testimonies. Many of them were. Um, coming from different places in their spiritual journey and walk, some newer, maybe newer, some more seasoned Christians, but different places, maybe some of them investigating the faith altogether. But a number of them that I talked to were just so thankful to, that God had drawn them in and God was beginning to do something in their work, in their lives here. And it just made me step back and say, thank you, Lord, that somebody, I don't know what people give, so I don't know which of you gave to it and which of you didn't, but I just stood back and said, praise God that people in our church made sacrifices over the years. They gave. They made sacrifices. They were consistent. They, um, they made a pledge and fulfilled it. They stretched at times. Some, some people did what wasn't comfortable and easy. They sowed generously, and now there's a generous harvest because there are people who are experiencing God in a new way. And this this building is just a tool, but it's a tool in the hand of the Lord that's bringing praise to God, overflowing of thanksgiving to God. Um, If you participate in the Generations Fund, you got a letter within the last couple weeks. And in that letter, if you participated last year, uh, they shared some updates since the last letter they sent out, which was before we moved here, I think. But it said, "Hey, since we've moved in, a lot's happened. We hosted our first VBS here, and I met numbers of people that kids that came from families that were not Christians that came and heard the gospel. I mean, I know some of them, uh, I know of them, know their story, um, and there were kids that came and heard the gospel here. That was wonderful. So we had our first VBS. We hosted a regional worship conference here, which is a ble- which blessed people of churches from." New Mexico, uh, Illinois, Oklahoma, throughout Texas, not just our church, but blessed other people. We hosted a regional assembly of elders here, which was kind of a training and and, uh, time for pastors in the state of Texas. We held our Rise Up Weekend here, which was a a, a youth uh, event for the kids in our church and for guests uh, as well. We hosted the City of Frisco's volunteers for the Frisco Freedom Freedom Fest, which was just a blessing. We were able to open up and serve all the volunteers that that served in this huge event just because we were here. That was never happening where we were before, um, but our location allowed us to do that. One of the things I've been most excited about is that we hosted the Frisco Family Services Back to School event, which took over our whole building for a week. It was wonderful, and in that we we served four hundred children from the poorest families in the school district. They received uh, toiletries, they received food, they received backpacks, they received all kinds of stuff, eyeglasses if they needed them, all kinds of stuff. And that was because of where we are and the opportunity we've had to steward this building to help someone else. So I hope when you hear that kind of story, if you gave, you know, for five years, you've been giving to this, that's the kind of stuff the Lord is, so that's, that's what Paul's talking about here. People were thanking God. People were thanking me. I didn't do anything at that thing, but people were thanking me. Oh, thank you for allowing us to come here and, and and do this to serve and thank the volunteers from our church that did that as well. But they were thanking God because someone had given generously and it brought praise to God. It it mirrors the theme. It's very different building a building versus a struggling church in Jerusalem. I understand the sources of the giving. I get it. I get that's different. But the principle is the same. People have praised God who've met him and experienced him. Uh, We had a men's summer book study here. Uh, on work, that, that we had a number of new people coming to that as well as our regular folks. I'm, I'm highlighting new people because regular folks we could have done it in our old building. But we've just been able to meet a number of new people here. We launched the Square and the Young Adults and the Grace at Home and the Grace at Work, which are all formal ministries seeking to serve people in those ways. We've welcomed new members. We've hosted... Um, Women's Bible studies in this building that just started. Um, We've welcomed our first renter into the building. We have a school that meets here, the Camarada School. That's it's a full time day school, a Christian day school that meets here Monday to Friday. Uh, They're thanking God for the opportunity to educate kids here. So they're praising God for what you've done in your giving in the past. So you just need to know there are people praising God. Um, we recently switched two services to make room for folks. That's a great thing. More people are getting to hear the gospel. We celebrated our first baptisms in the building this summer. Some other things we've done as well. We hosted an, an Empower to Connect conference, which opened up folks who were wanting to learn about foster care and adoption. We held a conference with them in April, and we have more coming up on that. In two weeks, we have Orphan Sunday, which we have annually, and we're gonna, you're going to hear some more about ministries in foster care and adoption that our building will be used for training for those purposes so this is a tool that's getting well used to to care for all kinds of people everything from foster care to the city to the needy in our city to equipping men and women in studies to youth all kinds of stuff beyond what happens right here right now we've welcomed a ton of our ton of guests a third of the church has come to the church since april so a third of the church is here been here 6 we're 11 years old but a third of us have been here six months or less so it's, that's, that's, that's a different thing. It's a different, it's exciting. I heard somebody doing a polite golf clap. That's great. I love that. Thank you. Whoever's doing the golf clap, thank the Lord. Some of them are unbelievers. Some of them are new believers. Some of them are confused believers. Some of them are solid and mature believers. All kinds. But it's been wonderful. We got Christmas concerts coming up. We're hosting, or I was just yesterday, I was talking to someone about we're hosting an orchestra. This isn't a ministry thing, we're just letting our building be used for the arts. So we have an orchestra coming here to play. And uh, the, the the neighboring uh, senior center is bringing. I, I was talking to them yesterday. They're bring they're they're bringing seniors to it as a trip, and it's it's literally like maybe four blocks from here. And I said, "Well, you guys are like coming over to yeah, we're coming together." They're really excited about coming inside the building and seeing it. So I was thinking, "Well, it's a it's a it's an orchestra concert. Nobody got converted. to Listen to Ella, though. She's great, but uh, <laughs> but." It's, a play, it's open door, somebody comes, somebody knows, something happens tragic in their family, they have a difficulty, they're not a Christian, they don't know any churches, they, they come and ask questions and ask for help. That kind of stuff is happening. So praise God for that. Um, all this because people for the years have given sacrificially and we're beneficiaries and, and that's the idea behind the Generations Fund. Really the idea behind the Generations Fund is this, 10 years... 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, somebody sent here, somebody new is in this pulpit, uh, somebody new is in your seat, and they're praising God that they met Jesus here because someone previously came here and brought the gospel. And that generation doesn't have a mortgage. So they're praising God that the people now who have jobs and incomes and resources footed the bill so that they could come here and all their money, could the building's paid, all their money could just go to ministry resources and not to building overhead. And they're praising God that you and I, by faith, covered something for them by God's grace generously, and they're going to reap the harvest of that. So that's exciting. We're giving for something that's beyond our time. So I know it's a little weird to talk about a building fund when we're here, but here's why we're talking about it, because we have not locked into our our mortgage. So in 18 months, we lock into a mortgage. So any money we pay down on our principal right now will lower our mortgage rate when it's locked in. So we're trying to give as much as we can now because whatever we give has value, um, you know has value. If you've ever gone on one of those mortgage calculators, you're trying to buy a house and you go, okay, if I borrow a hundred thousand dollars, what's my payment? Oh, it's here. Okay, if I borrow two hundred thousand dollars, what's my payment? Whoa! That's, if I borrow three hundred thousand dollars, oh! If I buy, well, yeah. and you look at the loan, it says this is what your monthly payment's going to be. That's exactly what we are. The more we pay, the lower our 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 nut is and so the the lower our monthly payment will be so Uh, anyway that's what we're doing right now someone said to me that giving a dollar now could equate to something like three in some ways in the future if you look at the loan amortized over a 25-year period or something like that I didn't do the calculation I just trusted them I don't know how to do the calculation but I just trusted them so we're in a key it's good it's better now than it is three years from now because it'll lower what we pay in giving last year people pledged this is unbelievable we we came over here as a church like I don't know Three hundred something people. Three, I think when we moved in here, we were three hundred twenty people ish are coming on Sundays. That was our average attendance, something like that. Last year, above normal giving, this church pledged four hundred and fifty five thousand dollars, and that is astounding. Um, four hundred and sixteen has come in. There's one more week, so. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll see where we land on that. But when the, it ends next week, and then the next week we start for the next year. So uh, we're just trusting. I, I'm trusting the Lord. Maybe the same thing could happen again. And I would ask you to start there. If you participated last year, consider just keeping it the same. Could you do the same this year that you did last year? If you didn't participate last year, why don't you jump in? and uh, and participate. It's a way of tangibly saying, this is home, this is my family, this is my church, this is where I'm investing my time, my life, my heart, my marriage, my kids, my, my service, my ministry, my gifts, and my finances, and I want them to go beyond me to bless uh, bless be on me now and bless be on me when I'm not here and somebody's in this church without any mortgage over their head so that's what we do on the way out you'll get a card I guess right ushers you get a card on the way out uh, can somebody tell me about this is true can anybody tell me am I lying or am I telling <laughs> it's true you've got one in your hand how do you already have them you, you got them on the way in you guys okay that was my big reveal that was my big reveal we got a card so you can tell we're not spending a lot of the money that came in, this is a very basic card. We don't have a big brochure or something like, what's the building gonna look like? Walk around. So we don't need a big brochure. <laughs> We don't need a video, we don't need a brochure, we're just giving you a card, and uh, that's it. It's a nice card, but it's just a card. So you fill this out and you can put it in your envelope, in two weeks you can bring and participate. Let's pray, thank you, thank you for listening. If you're a guest, thank you for hearing something that's family with regard to this project, but something that's not family with regard to how the gospel impacts us. If you're a part of another church, take what I said today and think about how can you you do that in your church? and uh, or wherever, wherever you're located and if you're not a Christian we don't want your money, God doesn't want your money uh, you trust the Lord you give him your life and ask him ask the gospel to forgive you ask him, through the gospel receive forgiveness and new life, let's pray you've been listening to a message from Grace Church, for more information visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org